This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello, welcome to Crowcast. My name is Darren Rigdon, Head of International Trade, and I'm delighted to have with me today Rob Lutus from the Department of International Trade. We're here today to discuss some of the current issues for those trading internationally. So for the first question, Rob, what are the key issues you are seeing businesses face at the present time when they're trading internationally? And when do you see these issues subsiding? Hi, Darren. Uh, It's a a good question. Um, I think anyone in business there has been hit by what I would always call a triple whammy of obviously Brexit, uh, the pandemic, but also the whole global logistics and supply issues, which have all come almost exactly at the same time. So, you know, we really understand the impact on businesses, not just coming from one direction, but three at the same time, which has caused some real issues. So the, the big things we're seeing at the moment, the, the, the big factors which are really driving uh, growth constraints or causing difficulties for businesses around volume consignments to the EU. So people who are moving high volume, low-value consignments to the EU are still struggling, really, to get those uh, products into the hands of customers uh, with predictable pricing, uh, duties, VAT, all that kind of thing. So they're working their way through, but it's still apparent. Um, The other thing is around logistics planning and just a lack of certainty, really. So that's goods in and goods out, so the ability to predict timescales for uh, supply, uh, both to customers and from suppliers is, is causing a lot of companies some real issues at the moment. And we hear about all of the, the issues around goods being held up in fields or in containers or even stuck in the, the service canal. You know, they, they really do have an impact on, on the performance of businesses. The other thing we're seeing is the, the unfortunate thing about deferred decision-making. So with all of that uncertainty, we're seeing a lot of businesses uh, in customer-facing environments facing deferred decisions, which just stalls the deals being done. Uh, so the, the normal cycle of proposals uh, or pitching uh, an agreement and, and contracts and deals being signed, that, that, that period has been extended through a mix of uncertainty and procrastination, really, which just means that the deal's not landing as quickly as we used to see, um, which is causing a bit of bit of concern. And just lastly on that, the, the escalating operating costs hitting margins, uh, combined with that unpredictability of supply. But the one thing that I will say to, to clients that we work with is just make sure you get your true cost of sale right. Uh, because so often now we see you know, businesses being impacted by those variables shifting all over the place, really, from when the deal is done to when the, the product or when the service is actually being fulfilled. Those variables are moving around so dramatically, it's difficult to pin prices now. So the more you can do to fix and ascertain that, that cost of sale, uh, the better. So they would be the, the sort of main things that we're seeing right now. But you can't decouple that from the domestic factors as well. So 
you know, we heard just today on, on the news this morning that um, at the moment there's, there's really a peak in, in labour um, supply at the moment. So um, it was announced that there are 160,000 new people on the payroll of companies, and that's just between September and October. So a lot of businesses are finding it very difficult to source labour across the whole spectrum, really, whether that's super specialists not being imported from anywhere, not just the EU, but Latin America, India, you name it. But I think the most pressing area is at the lowest skill end of the market, uh, where we're seeing businesses really struggling to find those people at the the lower end of the labour market because there's just a dearth in supply. Uh, so we're hitting you know, a whole new peak where the, the level of employment is now greater than pre-pandemic, believe it or not. So I think there's a there's a lot of factors affecting this, particularly uh, domestically, but also that inevitably has a, an impact on the international performance of businesses as well. Thank you. And it's uh, definitely it's what we're seeing across our client base in terms of the labour shortages. It uh, comes up in most of our meetings at the moment. Is that in the same area as well, Darren, and the, the lower end of the market or um, as well? It's, it's across all, all sectors and all different levels as well. Um, I mean, in our own industry as well, we're, we're trying to recruit at the moment to, to fill vacancies. Um, but we've got um, sort of care homes and manufacturers all seem to be sort of struggling to recruit at the moment. So one of the other headlines that's um, popular at the moment is on the supply chain. So what can businesses do at the present time to ease the supply chain issues that have been widely reported? I think it's fair to point out that this is not just a Brexit-related issue. Um, This is affecting companies equally in Germany as it is in in any part of the UK. So I think it's an easy go-to reason, but actually this is a global issue. Um, We've got one client company, for example, who make very specialist uh, LED lighting. And they always source transistors and things like that from, say, for example, Malaysia, where there's a specialist supplier there. And what they found is that that provision has just dried up because a particular manufacturer in China forward bought every single component from that company. Now, you cannot source these anywhere. And they've, they've almost had to shut up shop. They're finding it very difficult. And the Chinese paid double the price just to protect their supply. So I think what we're seeing on a global scale is the equivalent of what we saw in, in Sainsbury's and Tesco's in, in April 20, 20, 2019, when people were just you know, panic buying loo rolls and things. It's like that for, for commodities and for componentry, for example. So... We know that the, the showrooms are empty across the UK for, for cars. It's because you cannot source the supplies. And, and that's replicated across every industry where there are vital components that are just not available or available at a premium price. Now, that affects people's supply. Of course it does. Um, so what we found is those companies who seem to be riding through that more successfully are those who are diversifying their supply, so looking for alternative sources, uh, not through the traditional market, so you know, going to other places. There may be a, a price premium on some of those, but it does make the uh, supply chain more durable, um, albeit at a slightly uh, increased price. Um, but it is difficult to counter this hoarding mentality because you know everyone's going to be doing the same thing, and that, that pushes the, the demand up. It also pushes prices up, and that's what we're seeing. Um, so are you guys seeing a similar situation where you've got certain companies really 
struggling to meet their capacity because of lack of componentry or raw materials or, or people for that matter? Uh, yes, we're seeing that. And also the, the cost of um, bringing in the containers is obviously significantly increased. So that's impacting on their margins. Um, so we're definitely seeing that. And it's interesting you mentioned Brexit. Uh, we see a client on Friday and um, that they've said that actually Brexit um, was, was very easy to deal with in comparison to the issues they've got with their the wider supply chains at the moment. Once they've got their paperwork sorted for Brexit, although it causes a few issues, um, they're seeing much more problems at the moment trying to import things globally just because of the, the system. Yeah. I, and it's difficult to know where this is coming from because, you know, sometimes you just see a dropout in supply um, in areas where there has never been an issue before. So... Well, we've got a, a family business um, actually based over near Pallet Wood, and that's very reliant on cardboard packaging. So that you know that business moves around about fifteen thousand packages a day, and all of those packages are using um, high quality recycled cardboard, and that cardboard is in really short supply at the moment, and it's gone up by around about sixty percent in cost. Coupled with that, the shipping costs have gone up by about one, well, also around 50, 50%, uh, particularly for containers, shipping containers. So you think about how that hits your margins, it's pretty dramatic, but nobody's willing to take a price hit at the moment. So trying to manage that in within that, but nevertheless, it's gonna it's gonna bleed out. So this is where you start to see inflationary prices coming up, and that's exactly what's happening in Germany right now. You know, consumer prices are going up. We're going to see the same in the UK, I think. But I hope, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but people are a little bit more tolerant to price increases now because they realise the operating environment that everybody's in. And providing you communicate well with your, your customers, I think people are a little bit more willing to bear the cost of things now, realising the, you know, that uh, slightly complicated uh, environment that we're all playing in right now. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And um, our clients have been saying very similar things, actually, that they have been able to push their prices up because it is so well publicised that people understand that there are issues. And the same with delays in deliveries and that customers are a lot more understanding because they know it's a global problem and not not just the, um, the company that we're dealing with. And how have you and the DIT been supporting businesses recently in these difficult times? Well, the Department for International Trade has uh, been working with businesses consistently uh, over the, the COVID period. Uh, initially, we had to completely change what we did. You know, we hear these, these terms quite frequently now about repurposing or pivoting, but uh, we were asked in no uncertain terms at the beginning of the pandemic to try and source uh, particular supplies for, for the UK. So that was you know, the obvious stuff like PPE, but also ventilation equipment and stuff like that. Because we've got quite a healthy relationship, quite an intimate relationship with the clients that we work with. So when we were working with people like gin distillers or, or other spirit manufacturers, we were talking to them about changing their production to see whether they can manufacture hand sanitizer using the alcohol, for example. Um, bit of a daft example, but you know what I mean. We were trying to find this stuff anywhere we could. So we were quite fortunate because of the relationship we had, we were able to, to find um, garment manufacturers that were able to adapt um, and other equipment manufacturers to um, change what they did to support the cause at the time. Once we got through that period, you know, businesses were, were very interested in helping out, but they also need to make money, right? So we, we, we then recalibrated what we did 
to help them to recraft their communication with businesses because a lot of the traditional channels to communicate with their customers and suppliers just dropped out. So things like trade shows and events just disappeared off, off the map. Uh, still have. They're starting to come back now, but they, you know, they, they were just not being ran over the period. Uh, so we moved a lot of our uh, uh, communications to online platforms, just like everybody else, really. Um, so even though it wasn't business as usual by any stretch of the imagination, the core principle is you know, work well with your customers, find new customers, and try to sell those products to host its clients uh, in, in diverse markets because a lot of the impact of COVID meant that your typical uh, customers were suffering. So we had to offer alternatives in many ways. Um, so since then, we're starting to see an uplift. So really in the last three months, so from the, as we came out of summer uh, and even during summer, we're now starting to see business start to gear up. And that, that's manifesting itself in a number of different ways. Um, so we are seeing a much more healthy uh, prospect list for customers. They're looking at their, their new pipeline of sales opportunities. We are looking at demand increasing in, in the traditional markets uh, in the USA, Canada, for example, and even in Europe. Europe's still holding up strong. And yet, of course, there are issues. We, we are aware of those issues in Europe, but businesses you know, doing what businesses do well, they're finding ways to navigate around the challenges to get the products in the hands and to get the you know to get the returns on those sales. So um, it, it has been a choppy period, but you know the businesses we work with are are pretty savvy, incredibly resilient, unbelievably resilient. Um, sadly, you know some haven't made it through. Um, those in in some industries, you know, like hospitality, uh, some of the other. A visitor economy, for example, they just haven't made it through the other side. You know, there has been a, an unfortunate period for lots of businesses, but we are seeing people come back now. And uh, you mentioned earlier some uh, really attractive grant schemes that you have for SMEs. Could you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, so the, the grants that were available before from government were really survival grants. Uh, that, that's a terrible term, but, you know, all of the, the obvious... Um, grants that were being made available during COVID to get people through the difficult period um, were, were very well utilised uh, and you know, managed to, to bring people on and through that, that difficult period. But this uh, grant that we're offering now, it's an internationalisation fund uh, grant, and it's really to, to help businesses grow their international sales uh, in new markets. So. In my experience, I've been at both ends of this. I've applied for grants, but also been involved in, in administering grants before. And this is probably one of the easiest funds to access. It's pretty straightforward, actually. And how it works is it's a co-funded grant. So that means we will match 50-50 uh, the funds available. So if you have a project worth £10,000, we will support that with £5,000 uh, if it's worth £18,000 was supported with £9,000, but we are capped out at £9,000. So if it's a £20,000 project, you're still only getting £9,000. So there is a lid on it. Um, but what we found is the businesses that have, have taken advantage of this can use it in a number of different areas, provided that it helps to boost your international sales. So it's all about international growth. 
and that could be used for uh, very high upstream market research. It could be for adaptation of your product to make it fit for purpose in or fit for consumption in overseas markets. It could be about your marketing communications, so adapting your website or your sales collateral. It could be used for all sorts of different things. But I think right now, one of the most popular areas uh, we're seeing demand for uh, to use this client is for travel. So now international trade shows are coming back on stream. You can use the grant to help subsidize your travel for airfares, accommodation, um, on-site activities, so meet the buyer type event. Uh, you can use it for uh, trade show activity in the sense that it's the soft aspects of it. So one of the, the limitations of it um, it's only fair to point out what is eligible and what's not eligible is really any capital cost. So if you're going to a trade show, we can't pay for the point of sale kit, for example. So anything, any tangibles you can touch effectively. But if you want to run a video in, in Portuguese on a monitor uh, and you need that translated, we can help you with that because that's a soft cost. So yeah. it is very flexible. Uh, there are some limitations. Um, there are some ineligible areas of industry. So I suppose the easiest way to capture that would be anything that would cause embarrassment to the government. So uh, anything like anaboids or, or tobacco and things like that. But really, I think that 99% of the clients we work and Crow work with uh, would certainly be eligible for this uh, type of fund. The Method of accessing it is, is pretty straightforward. So there's an eligibility check. So we just want to make sure that the business is, you know, a sensible business, and that would include almost everybody that works with with Crow. Um, so normally a turnover uh, of over a hundred thousand. It's not a prerequisite, but it's a guide. Um, and you have to have a product or a service that's uh, eligible for international sales. So very much around services as well as products. So we're not limited just to uh, to finished goods. Uh, it could be very much applied to service industries as well or, or uh, intellectual property or technology equally as it would with finished goods. So yeah, if you're interested, um, what we can do is uh, off the back of the podcast um, is drop a note with our contact details. We've got a whole team of international trade advisors who are out there. They will help you navigate through the application process. Normally only takes about five minutes online, check the eligibility, and then you get brought into the fold and then it, it all kicks in from there. Um, just lastly on that, the type of suppliers that we work with, when I've applied for this sort of grant before, you're obliged to work off a roster of pre selected uh, suppliers, that does not apply in this case. So if you have a translation company that you work with regularly, you're very welcome to use them. Uh, if you have a market research organization in the UK or overseas, you can work with them. Um, so the access to the right sort of supplies really within your domain, not ours. All we need to do is have some evidence that the service has been delivered. That's normally just a quote. Uh, and you are being invoiced for that, and that's sufficient evidence to draw down the grant. So once again, it's up to about £9,000, and uh, hopefully that would help some businesses to achieve the growth that they, they desperately need. 
Thank you. Yeah, it sounds really useful. And it's, it's good that you mentioned services as well as products. I think um, international services are often overlooked. Um, people tend to think more of sort of physical products. This is not a plug for Crow, but, you know, if you do have um, specialist services, for example, on international VAT advice, for example, that would help a company get over a difficult bump. Yeah. So if they need specialist technical advice, it's not just about marketing and sales. It could be about you're making sure that the uh, the methods that businesses are using from a finance and accounting point of view are sensible and sustainable. So, you know, if Pro do offer those services, then you know that would be equally eligible as it would some of the other things that we've talked about as well. So, you know, if you are interested in that, speak to Darren and one of his colleagues because there might be some services there that could be um, suitable. Uh, to offset some of the cost to you, you know, the, the businesses. Um, Crow still get paid, they're happy, but you only pay half the price, so that's not bad either. Thank you. Yes, that's uh, definitely something we could help our clients with. Um, and, and just on that um, sub- subject, what are you seeing other firms like Crow doing to help their clients internationally? Um, some of the, the, the outstanding areas that the businesses are finding some difficulty with are taxes and duties, uh, particularly in Europe at the moment. So there are many, many different models that can be applied to ensure that your, your sales and your, your business in the EU uh, is still successful and profitable. Um, but what we're finding similar companies doing is really applying detailed advice, detailed specialist advice on how best to structure your business uh, in those overseas markets. And this has always been the case. You know, if someone was doing trade in the USA, you know, we would strongly recommend that they take professional advice before they enter the market because things like uh, local taxation, for example, can come back and bite them when they, they least want it and sometimes least expect it. And the same really applies to Europe. So we're seeing you know, firms like Crow offering quite detailed advice about different models and different options uh, for sustained sales in, in Europe. You know, if it's just a one-off sale, that's one thing. But if you're looking to you know, have that continued business activity in the EU, how can you do that in the best possible way? I think the other areas where, where organisations like Crow can really help is the sharing of best practice. Um, not from within their own domain, because you know there are a lot of people with some really, really strong specialisms in, in accountancy and finance. But because of your reach into the business community, you can learn best practice of other firms who've done things differently. So you can take that those learnings, not in a in a, a way of breaching any confidence or any um, intellectual property or anything, but just saying you might want to try this because you know, Ackley Limited down the road did this and it worked really well for them. And because you've got that insight across multiple different businesses, across many different sectors, you can cross-share cross that, that information in a way that benefits, you know, your clients. And we do the same as well. You know, there's no point in, in us working with thousands of clients and not sharing that, that good practice across, across many. Um, because we all share the same goal. Again, provided that we're not talking to businesses in a directly compatible area of activity, i.e. competing with each other, I think most businesses don't mind that best practice being shared. So that's another really valuable thing. The other thing I would say about 
crows that you know you've got very agile and very uh, wide ranging set of skills that you can share across client relationships, uh, which means you can adopt, adapt and evolve. So, you know, unlike working with a small book, bookkeeper down the road, um, as the client needs evolve and become more sophisticated, you guys can wheel in and wheel out that expertise on a need to basis. So it's not like you're having to pay the massive cost of a you know large auditing firm or whatever. If you need an auditor, you, know, you can bring them in, but you, you're not obliged to use them on a on a permanent basis. And you know that that agility and the flexibility to bring in services and and wheel them out when they're not required uh, makes it very cost effective for businesses. Means you're getting the right sort of advice without being shackled to the cost, which. Yeah, just, just having worked with you guys before, I can see you do that in client environments. And it's a really valuable asset to have waiting and available, again, without having the, the sort of fixed commitment to a cost on it. Yes, and, and the sharing of best practice, we've always been quite keen on that, both directly talking about our own experiences that we've had with clients, but also through our international trade events that we do, trying to introduce businesses so that they can speak to each other directly. And as you say, most of the time, they're not competing directly and they can learn a lot from each other, from mistakes that they've made um, and, and help other businesses through that process. I think it's definitely the case. You know, the events that we've, we've done with you, where you've got you know, lots of diverse businesses in the room from different industry sectors, different sizes, and, and different uh, approaches to different things. It's amazing what you get when you throw a load of people in the same room. And you go in with one idea what you're going to get out, and you come out with all sorts of different ideas, because when people start talking about this stuff, you think, oh, God, why didn't I do that? Oh, my God, why aren't you doing it like this? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you get this, this really uh, good, I hate to use the term cross-fertilisation, but it, I can't think of anything else where you, you do share those those uh, good practices. And it, it's a free, you know, it's a free um, commodity, really, but it's also very, very valuable. Uh, thank you for joining us, Rob. That was really um, interesting and, and, and insightful um, hearing your views on different things and the grants in particular seem very, um, very useful for those uh, SME businesses. Um, and thank you for everybody at home that's uh, listened to this and I hope you join us again for the next Crowcast. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we advise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.